Pushkin. Small business owners, this one's for you. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you, who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase Bank, N.A. member, FDIC. Copyright 2024, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is accelerating innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Welcome to the show. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso, and thank you so much for being here. This week on the program, we have a fellow podcaster in Andrea Salenzi. Salenzi is the host of Why Oh Why, a weekly show about everyone's favorite topic, romance. More specifically, Andrea offers a snapshot of what it's like to date in the 21st century. The tindering, bumbling, ghosting, and gaslighting. Ah, it's a treasure trove of good times. Her podcast, which is part of Slate's Panoply Network, is anything but a common dating program, though. Andrea's background in radio producing, she worked on The Gist with Mike Pesca, leads to a show that is a feat in both sound design and storytelling. There's nothing cookie-cutter about how she presents and dissects love. Here's a clip. Before we start the interview, here's a trick for listening. There's going to be a few times when I point out characters from within the ten. And it's okay if you can't keep track of everyone. You can even try to imagine me just interviewing a collective street meal voice. Let's begin with an easy question. Okay. Who's on Tinder? Everyone. The world. Yeah. I was and I got off. I'm on it right now. Great. He can't stop swiping long enough to be here. Anyone on Hinge? Deleted it. Match? I'm not 46. (laughs) (laughs) This whole time, one of the guys in New York just keeps shaking his head. I just turned off my Tinder. Really? Why? Had enough. He's done with all the swipey apps and websites that I've been listing off. You know, OkCupid, Bumble, Match, J-Date, J-Swipe, Plenty of Fish, Jelly, Coffee Meets Bagel, How About We, Taste Buds, Happen, Tindog, Field, Grouper, Hi There, Clover, Zusk, The League, Raya, Cray Swipe. Those were all real. 
except one. In recent months, YOY has taken a turn due to reality. After existing in a happy, long-term relationship, Andrea is now single. She does not hide that fact. Instead, the show has leaned into it. One of the latest episodes is titled, Do I Hate Men? Andrea is working out her emotions on air with the help of stories from both others and herself. When we spoke last week, we did our best to discuss that complicated tap dance between her very real pain and her sometimes real show. At times, YOY blurs the line between fact and fiction, memoir and fanciful narratives. I do mean that we did our best because uh, I'll admit off the top, before you even hear this, that this is unquestionably uh, one of the strangest and at times most painfully vulnerable conversations I've had on this podcast. Every week, Nora sends me the raw file of the episode. I listen to it, and I give my notes. And uh, my my main note this week was I, I don't think we should put this out. I'm deeply embarrassed by some of the ideas I have and the silliness of, of my approach. And, and my optimism at times is um, it feels naive and not deserved. But that's okay. I think it's good to have a dialogue about a shared topic um, with someone who, while certainly Andrea is a contemporary, um, you know, there's a there's a wide gap between someone who's 22 and someone who is 31. It's generational. It's also emotional. It's intellectual. It's past experiences, and um, it leads to an interesting, at times spirited debate between the two of us. So finally, here is Andrea Slonsing. What I wanted to start with is this quote that you have mentioned in the past, and it was last year, I think it was in June, Uh, it was a Roxane Gay quote, and it's, writing as a woman, you're faced with some really difficult choices. Oftentimes, the only thing women are allowed to be experts on is themselves. Uh, I've been thinking about that since I watched it an hour ago. (laughs) And heard you talk about it. And I'm curious, do you feel like you know yourself better now, given where the show is? Huh. That's not what I usually take from that, that quote. I guess It's not the only it's not the only thing I've taken I've yeah. taken, but it's it's where I want to start. Okay. Do I know myself better because of the show? Uh mm, No. <laughs> Uh, definitely not. I mean, I think I'm drawn to personal storytelling. I'm pretty obsessed with it in terms of the culture I like to take in in my life. But I don't know if I think it's a healthy decision for me. I've been going through a pretty gut-wrenching breakup over the course of making YOY, and it ends up being a subject of the show pretty often. So it's kind of like being a special correspondent into your own grieving it's kind of like giving your friends the play-by-play uh, about the giant hole in your heart. You're like, oh, the hole in my heart's still there. Oh, the hole in my heart's growing. Oh, the hole in my heart may <laughs> never heal. So uh, it's it's a journey for me. I don't think it's 
helping me know myself. I think it's helping me create work that hopefully others find interesting. But I think self-reflection and growth probably happens in spaces other than your creative output. It probably help it happens through actual conversations with your friends and family and time passing and gr- personal growth that isn't part of your job. You're also having a lot of public self-reflection, which I don't I don't know, as you mentioned, like it's not the same as talking to your friend or your, or your mom. As, as intimate as the show often is, I wonder, like, do you have the emotional bandwidth to have those conversations outside of the podcast? Mm, yeah, absolutely. I, you know, the podcast has definitely helped some of my female friends come out of the woodwork and open up to me more about these topics. So I think I'm putting it out there because I want it to come back at me. Uh, but in terms of actual growth and healing, you know, if I, as an interviewer, I don't want to talk to someone when they're still in the throes of something. I would much rather interview someone after they've gone through that thing and figured out what it means to their lives as a whole. You know, in terms of a narrative, it'd just be easier for me to talk to someone after they found that meaning. And I'm in a current state with the show where I'm still figuring out what it means and that meaning could change every week and the ending could turn out to be very unhappy. You know, what if I'm still doing a dating podcast in 10 years like... Hey guys, none of my hopes and dreams have come true. Still alone. (laughs) (laughs) Next week, we'll talk about how I'm still alone. (laughs) It's possible to me. It's very possible. That you're going to be alone. Forever, yes. I know that's hard for you to picture because you're 22 years old right now. (laughs) (laughs) Listeners, before this interview began, Sam referred to me as like his cool aunt. (laughs) I didn't say cool. In, a, in an advice-giving mode, he called me his aunt. And yes, I am a decade older than him, and that is why. I'm not as mm-hmm. cool older friend. I'm his aunt. <laughs> we just met. How are we friends? We, I think we have the capacity to be, be friends. Family? Well, I just meant in sort of the advice you were giving, very like familial, kind, generous advice, unprompted, by the way, which I loved, and I think it's very nice, and I've already written some of it down. But I, I, well, I, I don't know. I thought it was a, a kind thing to say. I didn't mean to age you out here. And I appreciate that within four minutes of doing this show, we've uh, gone to the jabbing of me being 22. It's, it's good. Oh, it's not the first one. Okay. I know there's plenty more. Uh, by the way, I have the same thing. That's actually why I like your show so much. I, I'm terrified by your show uh, on a week-to-week basis. Uh, in fact, I often listen to your podcast while to and from dates. Mm. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I feel like I get super worked up about dating at large before going into one. But being alone, I don't think you're alone in that. Like quite li- Just because I'm 22 doesn't mean I don't have those nightmares. Yeah, it's just, it's different after you go over the crest of 30. Um, I'm starting to have this feeling like, Looking back and realizing that my whole 20s, we were playing a game of musical chairs and slow, you know, song after song, different pairs of friends were sitting down and saying, oh, I found my chair. I found my chair. And the song kept playing. And then I thought I found my chair. I went over the crest of 30 and I started to come down and then the chair was kind of pulled out of me. And now I'm looking around and there are no chairs for me. And I think that that's a really specific place that some women find themselves in 
you know, after a certain age, your social value starts to decline. A woman's a woman's earnings peak at 40. And for a man, your earnings are going to peak at 60. So mm. for me, that doesn't that's not about money. For me, that's about how are you valued socially? And as a woman, I start to I'm starting to feel like my social value is plummeting. And without the commitment of a man, <laughs> it's just going to continue to fall and fall. And that's okay. my that's the darkness that is I think weaved into the show. Look, I just think I don't know. I just feel like love happens all the time. <laughs> and, and 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 let me just let me say that as someone who's seen their parents fall in and out of love with many different people. I I don't know. I don't sometimes the age limit thing like obviously I'm in no place as a 22-year-old white straight guy to tell you who's really fallen in love and fallen out of it something i haven't done that it's going to be okay i don't know but i feel like you're good at musical chairs i feel like you're good at a lot of things right i mean no i can i can put a lot of work and effort into musical chairs but i don't think that there's any guarantee it's going to work out for me i just don't think it's sure. you're right that love happens all the time but it doesn't mean it's guaranteed in this life and i would be incredibly lucky if it did happen for me again but it's not a sure thing, and if and it's become increasingly less likely for me, both because of age, but also I have higher standards now, right? If if I'm more financially secure, if I'm in a better position career-wise, these are standards now I'm going to hold any p- potential partner to, and you know if more guys in that specific pool happen to be already partnered, the chances are lower. Uh, I, I, I'm curious, how often are you thinking about falling in love? Ugh. Falling in, ugh. No, I don't think I ever think about it that way. (laughs) (laughs) That's like a Disney princess kind of like staring into space on a little stroll, like, when will I meet my prince? No, I have, I have commitments and friendships and a rich full life, and I don't really need to think about falling in love that often. Um, I think about seeking out a, a sex life again. I think about the anatomy of the dating apps I'm on and how to make them work for me better. I think about how to meet new people, but I'm not thinking about falling in love. I, I didn't mean it in like a Disney way. I, I meant more uh, just like finding your person. But from, from uh, I'm just thinking much more about the Trump administration, and I'm thinking much more about my weekly mm. deadlines that I'm you know, struggling with. I'm I'm just, I'm thinking more about other things than the person. And I feel like there was a time in my life, probably when I was 22, where this person was kind of vivid to me and, and like a missing half. And I don't feel that anymore. Mm. Um, that, that was that was at age 22? Yeah, probably exactly. You know, you're graduating from college and you're moving to the big city. And, you know, in that moment, you're like, mm, I'm probably going to meet him any moment. And, uh, I think after a while that not happening, you you don't carry around that that hope and optimism anymore. I mean, you're talking about deadlines. I, I guess the reason I'm focusing on this is that your work and love is so entwined in this show in a way that I don't think I've ever heard a podcast um, execute in the way that you do. And I listen to the show every week, and I wonder... Um, about the privacy elements of some of this. I mean, it, where are you finding that you can 
draw a line? Is there any separation between the show and life outside the show? Hmm. I would say currently, no. I think once I, if I had something specific that felt too personal or someone in my life who I wanted to protect from that, then I think I would know where to draw those walls. I don't think you're going to hear much about my dad, for example, or my relationship with him. Just because Mm. he doesn't want to be involved, the podcast doesn't make a ton of sense to him. But my mom is listening every week and thinking a lot about it, and we'll definitely hear from her over the course of the season. So I think, you know, when you're talking about personal storytelling, I think there will be always limits. And there could be something about my relationship with my dad that I'll tell in another way without actually involving him. So this is an amazing piece of advice I got from my editor that I think applies to a lot of creative people, which is that when you have something you want to talk about that's almost too personal, you can use other people as a way to tell that story. So I could interview another girl about her relationship with her father. And in the back of my mind, my process will be informed by my actual relationship without letting that on necessarily in the show. Your father doesn't listen to the show? Probably not. No, no, I don't think he hasn't. He hasn't so far. Yeah. He, he said, you said that he doesn't get it. What does that mean? Uh, like I said, I don't really want to talk about my dad, but he's just, he, he heard that some episodes were sad and he didn't want to cry. So he hasn't listened. But then, you know, I think he doesn't, he's not a podcast listener and it's just a different bandwidth. Do your, do your folks listen to your podcast? They both do. Yeah. And I've definitely said things on here where they'll call me the next week and they'll be like, hey, so what's going on with X and X? And I was like, oh, what? I didn't even tell them that. I thought. Did you tell them yet about your date last night? No, I haven't told them that. I I haven't. She's a little (laughs) old. Uh Uh-huh. 36. How did it feel? Was it, did she look like the people you normally date or did it feel (laughs) the same to you? were some gray hairs sneaking in and just I'm not going to hate on women but I was just talking to one of my friends about how we don't hook up with younger men because we're worried that you know like the sag of our boobs will be disappointing (laughs) so it's a real thing in my mind sure that's the thing you're contemplating well uh I'll say I'll keep it brief on this note um I I I it it was nice it was okay is that a real concern you have no I just don't want to explain what a dvd player is it's just really specific (laughs) concerns uh (laughs) i was also talking to a friend the other day uh the other day we had like a meetup for our listeners and one Mm -hmm. of my friends ended up in a long conversation with a girl who turned out to be 24 years old and he's in his mid-30s and he was telling her what it was like to protest the war in iraq and what it was like to be involved in a resistance when you knew the resistance had such little impact in kind of the national, in the decision making in Washington. So for her, she, the first time she ever voted was for Obama. So she has a totally different impression of hope and change and the impacts of political action in her life. So I think there, there can be, I think there is a world of difference between those age groups that's your biology, your place in your career in life, but then also in terms of shared experiences. And not that that can't be bridged, but it is it is notable. And it, it does say something about the older person when they're willing to kind of make that, that leap because there is an inherent power dynamic to that difference. And who has the power? Mm, the older person. 
usually because they're they usually have more of themselves figured out because they've voted in more elections no because they've woken up more days <laughs> than you yeah it's funny the first person i yeah i've, I've voted for obama 2012 that was the first time yeah <laughs> so that's i'm so ashamed right no, now it's, there's i mean there's nothing wrong it's just a, it's just a difference where in a dating situation um, or even in a conversation about politics, there's just more context to explain. Right. But I'm sure there are a lot of happy couples with that age difference. I just I think the difference between 22 and 32 is a is a much greater leap than between 32 and 42 just because of um, because you have more you're more established in your career. You're more separate from childhood <laughs> in college. Right. And and I yeah I think that's true I I can't protest that I quite I quite literally can't as someone who's only been this old I guess I'm just frustrated because there's nothing I can do you know I don't know what I don't know what the answer is to age or pe- people being frustrated that I'm a certain age or I I don't know what what to do about that I have really vivid memories of being 23 and you know a lot of my idols using me being 23 as the punchline but it was always with a lot of affection because they could see my potential and they were excited for my career and it was fun for them to say and she's only 23 uh and and I just I also enjoyed that time in my life because I was able to be naive and say, oh, I don't know who David Remnick is and have it explained to hmm. me. You know, I liked having that leap, that time where I had an excuse for not knowing what I didn't know. So I think you just enjoy it. And I think everyone knows to give your abilities some context. Do you think you romanticize your 20s now? No, I like my age. Time passes. It's cool. <laughs> I didn't say you didn't. I, the, the question wasn't about whether you liked your age now. No, I mean, my t- they were. it's just like any time in your life where you're, I don't know, it doesn't feel that different or far away. Someone told me two nights ago, the phone call with a friend, and he said, you're always either younger or older than you want to be. <laughs> Have you ever heard the theory that your brain gets kind of stuck at a certain age and it's hard to hmm. move on from? Yeah, I felt that at 12. Do you still feel 12? Yeah, I think so. Interesting. <laughs> no, I don't feel 12. I I, I think, yeah, I think if there's a, always a fear of being mired in mm-hmm. teenagehood. I mean, do you feel that? Yeah, sometimes. I think I used to feel more stuck at 23 than I feel now. I think <laughs> I, 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 I do have moments now where I feel the full, you know, pings of adulthood that I didn't used to feel. And sometimes I'll have moments where I'll kind of look around the room at people just a couple years older than me and assume that they're the adults and I'm not. And then mm. I'm instantly reminded that I'm the adult here, <laughs> too, and that there's very little difference between me and, and the people who I consider senior to me. So I, it's the kind of letting go of that idea of who the seniors are in your head that slowly starts to slip away and you've just become part of a pure adult group. But that seems like something you've been working towards for a while, right? I mean, you were doing stuff um, on the gist for a long time, and I've heard you talk about you're now obliging, I'm now obliging my own creative needs. And it, and this, to me, seems kind of connected. It seems like you were uncertain of like your own 
adulthood and taking authority of that. And and it seems like you have now. And it's paid off because the show is really, really fucking good. But was that a long, longer process than you thought it would be? No, I have moments now where I'm now a host and I work with a producer. And most of my career for the past decade has been being the producer, working with the host. So wow. for a long time, that was Benjamin Walker, host of Theory of Everything. And for a while, that was the host Jabalani LaFall when I did a daily talk show in Kansas City, Missouri. And then it became Mike Pesca eventually. And with all those hosts, I I don't think I realized how much I was taking in and how many lessons I learned from watching them because I'll have moments now where working with my producer, Lindsay, I catch myself channeling them <laughs> and suddenly their decision making and their frustrations and the things that would make them excited or proud makes so much more sense to me. It's a very different place to be in when you're entirely accountable to your own ideas and your own ideas are the most important key to your success. So mm. I used to have such a hard time when Mike Pesca would turn down one of my book suggestions. I would say, oh, here's an incredible author. You got to do an interview with him. And if Mike had any hesitation about why that was a good author, I'd have a really hard time with it. But really, he was just gauging his own interest and in that he had an intuition, a news sense that was just better formed than mine. So sometimes Lindsay will make a suggestion and I can't, it's it's so obvious to me why that isn't the right way to go, but I know that it's a journey for her to understand that. And I'm just so grateful for all the years of calibration I got from working with these incredible hosts. Uh, you said that, you're, that you can make any sort of pre-existing project better. Was that how you felt throughout your 20s? <laughs> No, no, I said I said the the advice I was given was to anytime you're working, you know, with a new in a new office or in a new situation, you need to make the people around you more successful than they ever thought they could be and you know, make yourself essential. So, I've always worked to do that. I don't know if it's always been successful. It seems like it's gone pretty well. Yeah, I'm 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 glad. But, you know, you'd have to ask <laughs> the people I've worked with if that was really the case or not. But if you go into every work situation with, I'm going to make these people around me, you know, more successful, then I think it's going to work for you. Do you think for a while you were taking a backseat to some of these people? Intentionally. You know, I, I, when I was 22, I maybe could have started a podcast. I think I would have ha had to hand code like an RSS feed in order to publish to it. I don't think there were as many recording <laughs> tools I would have had to record on mini disc and edit in. Uh, Are you sure Audacity? you want to be friends after this? <laughs> I, I, I don't think I really want to be your friend. No. I got to be honest. No, but like get, re get ready for this. So I'm grateful that I didn't have a podcast when I was 22 because I don't think I would have been able to do a good job with it. So lucky you, you're doing a podcast at 22 and, and you're doing great with it. You're getting to chat with some of the most interesting artists and musicians and how great that you're just doing your own thing and learning how to do your own thing better. But at the same time, I'm grateful that the archives of my online presence, 22 and, and younger, are just basically stripped from the internet. Um, so I had that privacy to make those mistakes and, and be a dummy in the ways that I was a dummy then. Can you elaborate on that sure so i I'm, have you ever heard of live journal uh-huh i have <laughs> so live journal i think of almost as my training ground 
before that was before doing Blogspot, a personal right? podcast. Yeah, before Blogspot, and it was mm-hmm. mostly you know you have your account and then you have your journal. So every entry had the date at top on the top, and I was doing a live journal in college. And I went back and looked at it with a friend recently, and there was an entry where I said, here are the guys I have a crush on right now. <laughs> and I listed the guys on campus who I had a crush on and then, like, the pros and cons of liking them. Oh, my God. That is in college. We couldn't do that on Facebook today. Like, we didn't have – Facebook was started my sophomore year. So, I don't know. We just weren't as savvy about what belongs online and what doesn't. And – you know, maybe in 10 years when you're 32 and talking to a 22 year old, they'll be they will also think that this was a silly thing to put online. And maybe by then mm-hmm. they just upload their eyeballs and blog that way. But I just it's embarrassing to me to look back. And I'm glad that I could become more savvy before I started executing personal storytelling, because there's also a time in my life where it would have been almost too indulgent. And at least I was able to gain experience from working with really working in a news background, working in a newsroom and learn how to kind of harness my personal storytelling to a larger good other than my own like compulsion to express myself. So you were making a pro con list of each of the guys you were interested in. <laughs> yeah. And, and how, one of them how, how... was my friend Dan, who definitely read the entry at the time. And hmm. now we're we're still good friends. We both are journalists. And it, it's fun to look back on why, I, you know, I wrote something like, I can't date Dan because we're going to end up working in the same industry. He had an internship at NPR, and it's my dream to work in public radio. So I, I knew that we would be lifelong friends in that entry. But I that oh still was God. public material that I put online for the whole campus to read if they'd found my live journal. And And how old were you then? Probably 20. So w- was it clear early on or around that age in college that I-, I think what's important besides the fact that you were on a live journal and doing pros and cons of romance, which I love and something I think I've only done while watching How I Met Your Mother and they when they did that a bunch, uh, where does that desire come from t- to to be heard publicly about about your personal life? You know, when I started YOY, I was just thinking about the conversations I was having with my friends and how I never hear those on podcasts necessarily, that usually a podcast is an interview with an artist or a musician or an author, and it's a very careful, controlled conversation, and NPR has a very soothing tone because all the content very much matches. And I was trying to think about where the spaces where I could bring those conversations or how I could incorporate those conversations into the show. And often those conversations are about dating and romance. So I've probably always been drawn. Uh, the juiciest thing any friend could ever tell you is about their date last night or how their relationship is going or the fight they just had. If this is the thing that's making me pay attention to my friends better than ever, I think this could grab the attention of a of an, of a larger audience. So why not? And I've never, I've never been very private about it. Were there other things that you were like when you were twenty that you still see in yourself now? I do think that that compulsion ties back to that Roxanne Gay quote. So she says, "Women don't feel like they're given permission to be experts on on things other than themselves." And I do wish that I thought I was a more interesting person when it came to talking about, you know. Uh, literary theory or maybe I could have 
developed like a nerdy interest in physics or actually taking that stats class. I wish I'd had a range of interests that were beyond boys, boys, boys. Do you know, do you know what, do you know how boring stats is? It's <laughs> so boring. It's so boring. I passed, <laughs> I, I never actually went inside the class, but I did pass by it once and it looks so boring. Yeah. You're like half the class, half the class was asleep. I know, but maybe I could have been the one person to make it interesting. <laughs> you know, I, I, part of me wonders if I'd felt permission to develop an expertise in another area if I would have done that, and then that would be my career now. Because in a lot of ways, I've always been very romantically driven, and maybe that's because I was told this is the most successful, this is the most important thing for you. Um, my mom, I was talking to her about this the other day, and she said that she remembered me saying I wanted to be a nurse, and she said, why not be a doctor? And I was like, oh, because guys are doctors and girls are nurses. And if I in the 80s, that was the messaging to a girl like me, now we have Doc McStuffins. So <laughs> I heard from another friend that their nephew said, I, am I allowed, can I be a doctor even though I'm a boy? Because all the doctors he was seeing on television were women. So I'm not proud that I'm channeling such an old-fashioned like area of expertise for a woman. And I don't think my inclination behind that is a belief in true love or completely pure. I think it's could be attention seeking right i'm a woman talking about sex isn't that the easiest way to do it so i don't know i think you're not giving yourself enough credit no i no. this is yes this is not um there are a lot of podcasts that don't approach the subject matter with the same depth and thoughtfulness and honesty that i tried to with yoy there could be a very superficial podcast about sex and dating and relationships that's out there for me to make that I haven't made. So, no, I know that I'm I'm doing this in a thoughtful manner that isn't superficial. But I know that I had another subject matter that could have been nurtured out of me that might have not been dating in relationships. You're 32. Well, I don't understand. Why do you make it sound like life is ending at the well? It may end at the end of this year, but it'll have nothing to do with you. It, it's I don't understand. Why can't there's other there's time to do. Yeah, you're really, really. It's it's hurting. I, Andrea. I mean, the, gee, ah. Sorry, we we went down this age route, and now there's kind of no going back. I'm sorry. You say you're romantically driven. That's always been the case. And yet, your mom, when you said, "I want to be a nurse," and she's like, "No, you should be a doctor." So it didn't come from family, right? I mean, like your family wasn't saying life begins and ends with a partner. No, but so that could have been the messaging I was taking in. From just basic society? Yeah. Do you think that's where it came from? Yeah, I grew up in the Midwest. Uh, I went to like pretty standard suburban high schools. I wasn't around, you know, East Coast elites or West Coast elites. I, you know, my, I, I wasn't grow, I wasn't raised in a very intellectual environment where um, these kind of things were pushed on me. So... Yeah, there was a ton of growth that happened after college uh, and in college once I started to develop my vocabulary and cultural references that were necessary. But We're in the Midwest. Oh, so we moved every couple of years growing up. So I've lived in Iowa, Kansas, Minnesota, Michigan, just all, all over. My dad works for General Motors, and it's a kind of a corporate transfer situation every couple of years. Did that sound as isolating as it appears? No, it's it was 
fine because it teaches you the social skills of meeting strangers, right? You're going to start over at a totally different school every couple of years and totally rebuild your social network. So there's some cool skills that you learn in there. But there, it, cre- it creates a sense of um, there not being a specific home, right, or a place you can go back to. But it was actually kind of fun and interesting. It made, made me feel pretty special. But I, I was okay at making friends. I don't know. It wasn't that hard. Um, my brother also did great. He's like a super good-looking athletic guy. <laughs> and it also made us incredibly close because he, we would be each other's best friends every time we moved until we figured the rest out. Oh, and then he would leave you behind? Yeah. When, one time we moved to Minnesota. He told everyone we'd moved here from the Bronx. <laughs> he was like, yeah, we moved here from the Bronx. Like He tried to make us seem like we were really like street-savvy, cool. Or I think he was like Chi-Town. We're from Chi-Town. Mm-hmm. He would make up cities that we were from that wasn't just West Des Moines. Yeah, th- it's, it's interesting. When I think of Andrea, I think street-savvy. <laughs> <laughs> This talking to strangers thing, it, it seems, uh, you seem to be good at it. People trust you. Yeah, it's pretty, there's a, there's kind of a high that comes with it, like kind of a, a real thrill to, uh, have you ever done Vox Pop? It's when they send you out in the street and you need to try to talk to strangers about mm-hmm. one specific question of the day. So I think when I was launching the podcast, I went out in the quad in front of my office building and talked to everyone we could find about you know, why is it important to talk about love and relationships? Why do we need a dating podcast in the world? And these are people you wouldn't normally meet, normally just walk to the soup place and buy our soup and bring it back to the office. But there's kind of a thrill that can come from having an excuse to talk to strangers and then being completely delighted by the things that they say once they open their mouths. So a recent episode of YOY, we sent 10 women into bars across the country to on the day of the Women's March, the historic Women's March on January 21st, to talk to guys in bars about kind of feminist issues. It's a great episode. But on a day like that with this assignment where you have a list of eight questions you need to ask strangers in bars, uh, you don't want to do it. You know, you can't figure out what bar to go to. And then you get there and you're kind of looking around. You're like, oh, this is going to be so awkward. <laughs> but all these ladies did it and they did it with uh, grace and skill, and it was amazing to listen back to. And now, it's hold, kind of a superpower being a journalist that you get to talk to strangers and ask them these incredibly personal questions. Amazing seems like not the right adjective. As someone who listened to the episode twice now, the <laughs> two parts, amazing, it was more endlessly infuriating, I think, <laughs> is the more appropriate. Uh, on, on t- sometimes, so, this, is, this is the power of your show. I'll listen to it driving around here, and you'll say things, and I'm like, no, no, you don't, no, that you, you need, I like want to call into your show and like be Randy version two, but not like Randy, just my own recurring character, and and offer my own take, but when you're listening to that, a lot, there's so many dudes, mm-hmm. a lot, lot of dudes, it's just like too many dudes, I think, um, it's no surprise that you felt like you may hate men by the end of that. I, I would hate anyone if I had to hear so much audio of like, oh, God, that we're going to we're going to clip in audio in this moment in the show so people can hear the responses people are giving to the question. Uh, are you a feminist? Absolutely not. I mean, I'm I'm for women. I respect women. 
I believe they have the same rights as men. I believe they should get equal pay. They have the same opportunity at jobs. I don't believe in today's society, really, this 2017, that there's a difference between men and women. I just don't like, I don't know. I'm, I get, I'm like, I feel severely about, like, calling my, I think, like, labels are important and, like, have power. I just hesitate to claim them for myself. But, like, I believe in feminism, and I, like... Do you think feminists don't want you to claim to be a feminist? I think maybe some don't. Women now are the majority of the college students. Um, And so it seems like there's a lot of uh, men are falling behind. And that's not something that I think a lot of the institutions see as a problem. They almost see that men falling behind is uh, maybe a triumph for women. Anger towards men is not the answer. Sexism is just one facet of, like, you know, the bourgeoisie, like, you know, imposing divisions amongst us to keep us separate from one another so that we won't realize that the bourgeoisie is, like, constantly exploiting us. Anger to men is not the answer. Anger to the system is the fucking answer. Yeah, but not, you know, that wasn't every guy. It was a very selective group that ended up being used in the show because if you imagine we had... 12 different women in different bars and many of them did multiple interviews there were some guys who had the completely right answer to that question and said of course i'm a feminist i'm a father of a daughter and i have a wife and you know we just got back from the march there are other guys who you know based on their political beliefs had a very clear no i'm definitely not a feminist um that is for a certain group of people that i'm not a part of and you know that label doesn't feel comfortable to me the people that drove me crazy were the liberalish dudes who just didn't think that the word was for them or hadn't taken the time to google it or really felt feel out what it means who couldn't be there with women in a time when our rights are under attack why do you think men are afraid to call themselves feminists there's a couple things one is this thing that we've all heard which is you know don't be a guy in a feminist t-shirt. There's a bad reputation to the guy who would wear a feminist t-shirt, anyone who's kind of exploiting the label to appear more feminist. And then he's obviously treated as the opposite of feminist, that he's just saying this so women trust him more, and then he can take advantage of them in some way. So the idea of using it as branding to make yourself seem more appealing to women is really frowned on. And then I think that led to an idea that the word wasn't for you. And then I think the other thing was a weird reputation from maybe American history class, the associations with a feminist being someone who's burning their bra and, you know, not shaving their armpits and that a feminist is someone who's angry. And for me, I can't help but feel a parallel with Black Lives Matter as a movement. Right. The idea that some people just don't want to be associated with the phrase that Black Lives Matter, they could say, I believe that all people are created equal, but, you know, all lives matter. And I think we're at a time in history where you can't not say black lives matter and you can't not say I'm a feminist because words have meaning. And you're not saying that all lives don't matter. You're just saying black lives matter and women are, should be treated as equals right. with those phrases. So it's just an issue of enough guys going to Google.com to look up that word. And that's what drives me crazy is that. If you just went to Google for a second, they would say a feminist is someone who supports feminism. And then if you look up feminism, it's just the equality of the sexes. They could go to Bing, too. They don't have to go to Google. They can go 
<laughs> Anywhere, just you can just search. Uh, there's a great. I don't know if you saw Michael Che's stand-up special. I think it's Michael Che Matters <laughs> is the title, <laughs> and he has a bit in there about like Black Lives Matter, and he's like, white people can't even just say that black people matter. Just matter. Not not that they're like important or great. Just matter. And uh, it it's such a great joke that I hope like is an eye opening thing for people who who have problems with that. We can't even agree on Black Lives Matter. That's a controversial statement. Black lives matter. Not matters more than you. Just matters. <laughs> matters. Just matters. <laughs> That's where we're starting the negotiations. I gotta say though, it, I don't know if it's about alienation or or the whole like when it comes to male feminists them being afraid of women who don't shave their armpit hair which i I never understood was i don't know why that's a problem for people but i think it's about power right i mean i just feel like men don't really want to give that up we've had it good for so long i think there's a lot of men who are uninterested in really forfeiting that power yeah but that's that extreme of guys, right, who, who who, said, no, I'm not a feminist right away. It's the guys in the middle who I'm most upset with. Those are those are worse to me. Th- that, that's more insidious because it's 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 less clear. It's more nebulous. It's just how could you not if you say you're for women, how could you not be at the march that day? <laughs> I don't know. And and how do you think we can do this alone? It's just it's just crazy to me. But I, I do think that you that some guys are afraid that they're going to give up something by saying they're a feminist, that it it's almost like me saying, will you please start wearing pink more often that that it's going to take away something male from them. I like wearing pink. I don't understand. I, I, this is I mean, but some guys, you know, they don't want to wear pink and I that's fine. But please come to the march. <laughs> I like nice and pink. I, I'm a fan of that. I think it's a generational thing as well. I, I find that within my generation of folks, I know people who listen to this, I think, are mostly older, so they may get infuriated by this. But in terms of my generation, like, I don't think this is not even stuff we think about. Like, it's not even a question amongst friends about being a feminist or if Black Lives Matter. It's not it's it's not even part of the dialogue. It's like, yeah, of course. In your specific corner of the world, though, Sam. Sure, but I also was <laughs> raised in Chicago. I mean, I have, and I raised in the suburb, too. I have Republican, uh-huh. even amongst Republican kids. I went to Catholic school, uh, in a predominantly white Catholic school. Even them, uh, there's pushback, maybe, sometimes, to the idea of feminism. But after about 30 minutes of me sort of haranguing them. Do you know how many people voted for Donald Trump? Too too many. Yeah, like maybe sixty six million or something like that. Maybe my ex stepfather. Yeah, and that is someone who says he he because he's famous he can just grab women by the pussy. I know that <laughs> he's our he's our president. So it's just a weird time that we live in, and I I can't I want to believe that things are changing, but it's hard to know in what direction, and I think that's one of the questions of that episode not to get on too much of a political tangent but i i want to ask you the 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 grabbing the pussy line 
I'm very interested in this line because I've never, I don't think I've heard, I hadn't heard that before. Like just random, like I've never, so, no, I, and I've been, I've played basketball. I was in gym lock. I've heard plenty of, of stuff, but I've never heard the line like, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna grab her pussy. I've never heard that. I mean, Nora could insert the raw tape in here. You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even wait. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything. Whatever you want. Grab them by the pussy. <laughs> I can do anything. I don't think he was saying it as if it was a common phrase in that Billy Bush tape. The way he was saying it was he was just kind of slowly bragging to his buddy so he was like, you know, when you're famous, you can do anything. You know, kiss him on the lips, grab him by the pussy. So he's just giving him examples of what he can get away with as a famous person who just gets full access to women. So it's not, it wasn't a thing until he just happened to have said it at that moment. It wasn't a thing. It's, it's still mystifying to me. And the moment I meet someone who says that to me seriously, I'm going to like document that in time. He's just a weird, he's just a weirdo to me. He, he like, is. Like, I don't think that that's, you know, I think guys do say messed up stuff all the time. I had a friend who went to a bachelor party and he told me the story about how one of the guys kept pushing all night long for them to get a prostitute because there's always they, that guy. There's always, there's not, I, really? I, I don't know what that is. <laughs> Even at our, there, there, I was with a friend and we were out and there's like five of us and he's like, you know what we should do? And I'm like, what? Do, do, should we go bowling or? He's like, no, 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 no. We should get a prostitute. And I'm like, wait, for the group? Like, it's gonna. It just seemed like a weird group activity to me. It didn't make sense. <laughs> but that's that's Donald Trump. There, it's like, you know, if we get a prostitute, you know, she'll do anything. She'll do anything. Oh. And, and that's that's the same vibe that I I hear in that tape. So it's not necessarily about grabbing of the pussy. It's about being able to do what you want to women. Right. You you talk about the locker room talk um, and your friend telling you this conversation. On the last episode, you had someone talk about how it was someone from maybe Washington or some state. I don't know. And he said, a girlfriend found a text conversation where a bunch of guys are talking. She found it, blew up, and they momentarily broke up. I was interested in hearing that. Because I was wondering, do is there a flip side to it? Is there like is that does that exist in the space between women? Like if I read one of your group chats with a group of your women friends, would I be like, whoa? Like I don't think we could see in this theoretical space in which we're dating. Could I find something that was like, oh boy, that's not good? <laughs> yeah, actually, a lot of guys were very defensive about locker room chat in that episode because they would say. You know, women do it, too. And we know that women do it, too. And and I'll, actually, some of the women interviews also admitted to say, well, yeah, actually, you know, I do talk really specifically about things with my female friends. Like, obviously, we're talking about penis size. Obviously, we're talking about performance. Uh, you know, there are things that feel pretty obvious to me that I would also feel comfortable if a guy were saying oh, she was hot for X, Y, Z reason, or oh, she didn't work for me for X, Y, Z reason. But the thing that crosses into the inappropriate locker talk is when you're talking about violence against other people. Right. We are saying um, that this happened and 
she wasn't into it and I did it anyways. Or you're saying, I hate women. I like anything that hits on sexual assault. Um, But one guy even brought up how he's been in many workplaces where he considered locker room talk, you know, gay bashing, any kind of conversations about um, hating gay people. He was not comfortable being around. And he felt he put that in the category of locker room talk. And I hadn't even thought about that before I heard that moment of tape. And I realized that it's part of the same kind of I'm so masculine conversation that you would have. So you're both degrading women and you can be hateful towards gay people. And this is making you more of a man. And I don't think that that exists in female culture. We're not saying we're not talking about your penis size as a way of saying that we have more power than you. You know, we can be explicit about our turn ons because that's kind of fun to hear and fun to talk about with other people. But uh, it never crosses that line. Mm. That's an interesting distinction. Yeah, I don't think I would. Would it make you uncomfortable to know that women are talking about the specifics of of sex with you? Would it make me uncomfortable to know? No, I mean I've I've been there for those conversations and I've seen them before. Uh, I, I think it's more that I don't know. I never I'm never comfortable with this a guy saying, "Yeah, but you guys do it too." I don't like the idea that we're justifying. Like I don't know if either party needs to justify talking about what turns them on. I think that's okay if it's existing in that space. It's it's the thing you're talking about where if it goes into something that's non-consensual or there's violence, um, which unfortunately seems to be something exclusive to male conversations it, it, by what you're saying. It doesn't seem like you guys have that within women's spaces. You know, I mean, obviously there are always exceptions when every every time you say men are like this and women are like that. Sure, sure. I, I, I know um, that. There's nuance yeah. to all of this. Yeah, but in general, I, you know, I think you could generalize pretty easily and say men tend towards more violence and obviously sexual assault happens on both sides. But I feel like there's more of a risk of um, locker room talk amongst men turning violent or degrading towards other humans. I've I have more broad male female questions for you. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think men get uncomfortable, or some men get uncomfortable, or it seems a, a wide majority that I know get uncomfortable when a woman is explicit about what she wants sexually, and or she's aggressive. Why is that something that people are uncomfortable with? Oh my gosh. Oh. Because they're little babies. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I I had a friend just go through a really hard breakup. And, you know, as out of kind of out of nowhere after eight years after owning an apartment together, they were kind of having their final talk before he left for good. And he said, you know. This is an eight-year relationship. This is an eight-year-long relationship where they owned an apartment together. So much. I'm, I'm anxious hearing this. All right, go ahead. So they're sitting there, he's packed up, he's leaving, and she's like, I can't believe you're doing this. I can't believe you're leaving me for this girl. And he said, you know, I knew this would never really last because... No. Because you texted me first. Oh. (laughs) And and it turns out that she'd sent the first, like, hey, you know, it's me. Do you want to hang out sometime? Text message before he did. And he held on that to that piece of information for eight years and he had always felt like it made their power dynamic different and i i 
when I hear, heard that anecdote, it was not surprising to me because I feel like I've been resented in similar situations in my past for being at all aggressive or forthright about my needs or interests. And I think it can play out in the bedroom too. I think it can play out in all kinds of ways because there's this, I don't think there's anything wrong with like old fashioned dynamics where he's the man and you're the woman. But I think those dynamics exist to be played with and that all the variations and fugues that you can write from that original cadence are fascinating and interesting and fun but I do think that it can be very loud in certain guys heads and that they want they want a certain dynamic and if it doesn't play out the way they were told it would they're very threatened I've I've done that I've resented You've been that guy I've resented I know I've done that can you give me the example which one <laughs> <laughs> um off the podcast uh yeah sure no um i uh, you're right because your parents parents (laughs) is that true for you that you would remember that she was the more aggressive texter would you be would that stay large in your mind over the course of a relationship uh there's like a couple joke answers i could do for comedy but i don't i'm uninterested in that right now i feel really bad feel guilty i'd like to think that after eight years of giving myself to someone as much as i could give to someone that i wouldn't hold on to a text that originated with the woman first and not me i'd like to think i had grown in the eight years but i don't know i don't think you need total guilt for having an idea about what makes you a man and what makes her a woman if you're straight and that's how you date but um yeah I but I also think to hold a long grudge against someone for that is really insane because the dance of dating is so awkward to begin with and so separate from how we actually interact as humans Mm. that there's going to be missteps and awkwardness in the beginning and you know weird leaps taken out of hopefulness and missteps it's it's mostly missteps to me i just feel you can't generalize about who a person is based on how the early days of dating play out maybe you know a year in, if she's the one who's texting you way more you could have some kind of dynamic based on that but a lot of missteps. It feels really different. A lot of missteps. Wait, are you? What are you feeling guilty about right now? I, you know, I, I think it's disappointment. I don't know. There's, there's a part. Fuck. Okay, I'll just be honest. I mean, the truth is, a lot of things in my life, specific to my life, they've been accelerated. A lot of things professionally have been accelerated, and they all feel and have the the sort of man whatever feeling of adulthood or being an adult but when it comes to romance i mean it's like i completely go back here's the callback it's like i completely feel like i'm 12 sometimes (laughs) and i and i am constantly frustrated and disappointed that i'm not catching up with 
my like professional self, which seems to be moving in a direction that I'm happy with. That seems to be like, you know, functional. <laughs> it's just the other component that I haven't, I haven't figured it out. Yeah, but one of those things has clear guidelines for you. Like I knew how to get into a good college. I knew I needed to work on my test scores and work on an application. There was a clear path to get into a good school. And there was a clear path to getting a job, right? I knew I needed to network in my industry and work on my cover letter and get some internships. But with dating, there isn't a clear path. So it makes sense that one can feel like a much harder thing to arrive at than the other. You're just dating to figure out who you are and what you like. You're not supposed to be in your dating career yet. You're supposed to be just kind of having fun. And you're in your dating career. Yeah, my dating, my fun time is supposed to be over by now. It's over. And I like past deadline. <laughs> way past deadline. Deadline. <laughs> de- not way. You're, you're, just a little. It's over. It's it's completely done. No, but but you know, as I'm turning 32 pretty soon. And um, I'm supposed to freeze my eggs by 34. You so you I better freeze them. Have... You better freeze them because, you know, like we started on the show, it seems you know, the musical chairs, the chairs are out, the song is over. It seems there's just no chance that you're going to fall in love again. <laughs> there's just no way that's going to happen. It's just it is. It's hard, uh, and I don't expect you to understand what it what it's like to be in my exact shoes right now, but. You know, if if you are, I'm, I think we are both ambitious people and we want to be achieving our goals when we're supposed to have achieved our goals. And there's a cognitive dissonance to realizing that you're off track and maybe in a way that might be irreparable. And you think you're off track? I am off track. Why? Be- specifically because I have, I have a limited number of years in which I can meet a partner if I want to have a child and I'd like to have a kid of my own so the idea that I'm supposed to freeze my eggs by 34 is a is a real factor and basically after 35 all of your paperwork for having children is stamped with something that says you're like senior (laughs) and having a kid and you're a high risk and actually the my risk of um birth injuries go way up after 35 so if I'm 32 next week then if I were to meet someone in the next year, I still would want to be able to date them a couple years. And then I'm coming up on 34, 35, and I'd want to be married a couple years before I start to have kids. I'm actually really off track to give the right kind of relationships the appropriate amount of vetting and to really even take time to recover from my last breakup. Things are actually pretty messed up here in my actual timeline and my actual goals. And I know that's hard for you to understand. And I know it just sounds like a pity party sometimes. But once you reach this age and your peer group is really starting to figure it out, it it is hard to not have it together and to have it so out of my control. Because I also have, if I wanted to just find someone to have a kid with, that's totally different than finding someone who I want to link myself with emotionally and financially for the rest of my life. And I have incredibly high standards there. So I hope I meet him. There's no promise that I will. And there is a pretty good chance that I'm going to end up adopting when I'm older or creating an intentional family using my existing community. And it's really hard to say how it's going to play out. You've said it a couple times that uh, I don't understand or I I couldn't possibly understand. 
And you're right. I I understand after talking for an hour and you explaining it to me and hearing it from you, but there is a part of it that I couldn't possibly understand just by virtue of being the age in which I won't say out loud again because it's been said 10,000 times. Everybody knows you're 22, Sam. Whatever. (laughs) The point is... um, I'm sorry if I appeared flippant. No, I would have given myself a hard time. Yeah. I want to I want to make sure this is not pity. Because what I do know and it's limited for me again, but I do know this with not just myself but my friends or my mom, god my mom, especially my mom. Is that we have these plans, we have these visions of of how things are supposed to work out. And like this part of the podcast where I didn't think I'd be so fucking emotional. I didn't plan on that, you know? And I hear it in your voice and I hear it on the show and I get that you're worried and that you're scared and that you're angry sometimes and maybe deservedly so that the, the plan didn't work out. I don't know if there's a point to this other than to say that I don't know you particularly well yet. Maybe maybe we'll, you, you'll be my aunt and we'll know each other more. But you strike me fundamentally as someone who has a really decent, good heart. And I just think things are going to work out and... and, and and maybe not in the way it's obviously not in the way you expected them to. <laughs> there is no relationship between having a good heart and everything working out. Now. I no, there <laughs> is, there is, there is. No, there is though. There is. I, I, I No, no, no. This is the difference between a twenty two year old who got to vote for Obama for his first election and, and a thirty two year old. This really is the difference because if Donald Trump is our president, if if there is a refugee ban that was executed and within this past month, like there is just no guarantee that good things happen in this world. And I am just no long, I'm past optimism. There's no relationship between me being a good person and things working out for me. Like shitty things happen to good people all the time, every day. I'm not denying any of that, but tell me this, what good does it do for you to feel pessimistic about your future? What good is I'm not a witch. I can't control the future with my thoughts. If I could, <laughs> that would be amazing. It's just nice to be heard. And it's it's if my reality is not being sure that things are going to be able to work out for me and I'm able to talk about that and excited to talk about that, then I don't think changing that story is going to change my future. I don't think that by saying, "You know what? I'm hopeful. I can meet him any day and, you know, I'm putting the work in." I'm sure I'm going to meet him at any moment, and this is all going to work out. If I were saying that, that'd be so untruthful, and I can't. I, why would I waste your time with that? Because that is not my reality. My reality is I'm not sure if I'm going to meet this person. It's a dream and a goal of mine, but no one gets what they want in this life necessarily. And you you can plan all you want for a lot of different aspects of your life, but this isn't a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. Are you prepared to be alone i don't think i'm prepared to have a biological kid on my own like i don't think i'm 
prepared to be a single mother of an infant. Um, I don't think I've successfully built a support network yet to be able to do that. So if that is the important thing to me, then that's something I need to actually be prepared for if I want to do that. I do think, you know, if I'm not, if I'm looking at the immediate 10 years and my likelihood of having a biological kid, that's what I'm not optimistic about. If I were to break that out into my whole life, I'm sure there'll be another great love. Like that's the thing I can be pretty sure of is over the course of a whole lifetime, that seems like an easier bet. It's just a specific goal of sharing a life with someone and having a family with them that's hard on me right now and and less likely because there is this time frame that you as a guy will never have to face that that's what's hard on me but I'm sure I'll be in love with someone again and I'm excited for if and when that happens because it's been five months without any physical contact and it'd be nice to have that end How, how's that <laughs> I've grown my leg hair really long, like longest ever. And I'll show it to my dog and I'll be like, look, we're both animals. And she'll be like, I knew that. <laughs> you don't need to tell me. I've always known that. All right. I have two last things because I know you got to go. This is maybe going to sound silly, but I've said plenty of silly things and you've pointed out their silliness. So it's okay. What is something you wish you could tell all straight men? Like, like before you even had to like sit down at a bar and talk to them, what is something like they you wish it was like programmatically inside their head before you go up to them? What's something you want all men to just know and accept and find to be true? Mm. Uh, okay. The number one thing is be a feminist. There's, you're not going to give anything up. by just look up what feminist means. If you are that, just be comfortable saying that you're a feminist, which you kind of already hit on. Uh, and then my other thing is be clear with your female partners when you're lo- not looking for a commitment. I think a lot of guys rely on ambiguity there in order to not have to have those difficult conversations. But if there's a time in your life where you're dating and you're not looking for commitment, I think you have to be incredibly clear about that. And it's it's only fair because for the most part, a lot of women in my life were hoping to enter adulthood with a partner, you know, buy a first couch with a boyfriend get a dog with a boyfriend and for the most part guys want to arrive in adulthood and then look around and find the apartment themselves a partner and up until the point that they feel like an adult they mostly date without consequence they're kind of dating without thinking about long-term compatibility unless some kind of magical trojan horse of a woman sneaks up and changes their life so i say be really clear about what you're looking for with the women you're dating if in fact you are a feminist and also, just please be a feminist. You did the buying a couch thing, right? I don't know. It's just been... No, I feel, I feel like I've mostly been on my own um, through my 20s. And there were different two different partners I lived with. And at one point, we did buy a couch. Was that nice? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> but that's because we thought... I mean, we, that was someone... We bought a couch together because we really did think we were going to be together. Do you think... That men are less honest than women are when it comes to relationships? No, I think we're all having a hard time explaining what's going on with us. I just, I do think that there is a culture amongst guys where they're supposed to have their youth and have fun and, you know, be young and in a way that doesn't really exist for women because 
they're rewarded for promiscuity and were on some levels culturally punished for it. So it's just a different dynamic and it's just different. This is the last thing I wanted to ask. Why? 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 <laughs> why is... Uh, why is love so hard? Why is it so, so hard? Wait, you think I have the answer to that? <laughs> I think you have a response. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is the cultural answer that's coming to me. Anything that's worth it is hard. <laughs> Anything that's worthwhile is supposed to be hard. Isn't that what we're told? But I bet there was a time where it wasn't hard. Um, I think, but I don't know what I'm, th- I don't know what I feel about the word love. Like, love in that, co- love isn't hard, right? Like, when I've met the people who are meant to be my friends for the rest of my life, it's been just like a beam like of lightning crashing down on me. And when I met my best friend, Casey, we just knew we were going to be best friends and there was no escaping it. When I met my most recent ex, it was so obvious to me that this person belonged in my life and we loved each other so much right away. It's like love actually isn't hard. The things that are hard are some of the the things totally outside of love, right? Like what kind of a life do you want to live? What kind of a future do you want to have? How much money do you earn? What neighborhood do you want to live in? What's going on with your parents? What's your relationship with your parents? Like, what do you want from this life? Like, these are things that are actually incredibly hard and they're meant to be hard because they, they go down to the very essence of who we are as people and what it means to be a human being and what it is to be alive. So it's love is easy. It's all the other shit that's involved in long-term partnership that is incredibly hard and is meant to be incredibly hard. Mm. That was a good response. Okay. Good. You don't seem convinced. <laughs> no, I'm just going to go start a church now because apparently I can answer any question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's 645 on a Friday. Yes. What, what, what are you going to do tonight? Oh, my mom's in town. I got to go see my mom. Friday night with your mom. That's that's nice. Yeah, I'm excited. So can I go, Sam? <laughs> Please. Th- thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me and for all your thoughtful questions. Um, I'm excited to <laughs> Will you please call me when you're 32 and we'll both have to listen back to this? Oh god. Ugh. <laughs> I, I, I'm really curious. I, I can't tell if like you like half like enjoy my company or just hate me. <laughs> I'm completely <laughs> uncertain about it. No, you really entertained me. It was really it was really fun and <laughs> fun to chat with you. I'm just so excited for when you're 32. Oh God. And our environment's been wrecked and <laughs> our nation's in shambles and we live in a fascist regime. <laughs> For you to tell me that everything's going to be okay again. (laughs) Maybe I'll be the optimistic 42-year-old and you'll be the optimistic 32-year-old. Oh, I really hope that's the case. Well, there it is. Special thanks this week to the team at Panoply, Laura Mayer, and Andy Bowers. You can listen to YOY every week wherever you get your podcasts. We'll also include a link to the show's website, yoyradio.com in the show notes and lastly 
A big thanks to Andrea for the friendly advice. People, people who need people. If this is your first time listening to Talk Easy, why oh why listeners, you may like some of our past conversations with folks like Zoe Kazan, Sherman Alexi, Mac DeMarco, or Melanie Linsky. You can subscribe to the program on iTunes, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcasting app. If you want to drop me a line about the show and potentially have something read and responded to on next week's episode, feel free to do so at sam at talkeasypod.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at talkeasypod, as well as our website, www.talkeasypod.com. Our music this week, as it is every week, is by Jin Sang and Vanilla. Our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our associate producer is Valerie Ettenhofer. And the show is produced by Nora Knight. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for listening to Talk Easy. Next week on the podcast is Philip Baker Hall. I'll see you then. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship. With thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com.